You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Generation 
with resurrection life. We are a generation filled with the power of Christ. And our songs, it will be out of the darkness we will rise and sing.
is our God. Twenty twenty, a year of anticipation, hope, bright future. Markets reached record highs, and spirits rose with them. Strong economy, businesses bustling, students excelling, families finding their way. Life was good, but something was spreading. It began as a small news story in a foreign language. Then it expanded through Asia, Europe, North America, the world, impacting everyone it touched. It hit our coastal states first. Washington, California, New York, Connecticut, Florida. The spread continued. As its impact rose, everything else fell. Stocks plummeted, grocery stores emptied, businesses and schools closed, events canceled. Lost jobs, lost health, lost lives. And in the midst of its spread, the evidence that we live in a fallen world was evident. We saw the worst of humanity, signs of systematic injustice, the dehumanization of people made in the image of God wronged, resulting in riots. Racism turned our nation toward rage, crisis, fear, Panic, hate, life was brought to a halt. Nothing could stop the spread. But in this darkness, something else was spread. Not filled by fear, falsehood, and fear, but by faith. Founded as eternal truth and unending love, it has the power to drive out hopelessness and produce peace, to enter chaos and bring order. It calms the concerned and gives wisdom to the worried. It heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. It brings light, gives sight, heals pains, breaks chains. It restores, redeems, and renews. It is the only power that can overcome the adversity of our diversity and bring us together as one. And nothing can stop its spread. Not world powers, politics, plagues, poverty, or persecution. Not even a pandemic. No, because this power is from God. The gospel can overcome any sickness, injustice, or evil. It can change every heart, every home, every neighborhood, and every nation. But it has to begin here before it can ever go there. So we, the people of God, choose to carry this light everywhere we go. And we will not stop until every person from every background, every color, every class, and every culture has the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. So together we reach across the street and around the world.
I don't know about you, but it, it seems to me like every week there's another layer of craziness in our world. And uh, what I see, what I hear uh, all around us is, uh, you know, who's right and who's wrong. Uh, everybody wants to be right. People on the, uh, on the left want to be right. The people uh, that are in the middle, they want to be right. People on the right, they want to be right. And I think it's pretty fitting that we are uh, studying in this season of our lives the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and he describes to them, which now flows and filters into us, how do we get right? How do we get right with the one who matters? That's God himself. And once we get right with him, then we get right with ourselves. Uh, we're forgiven by God for all that we've done through what Jesus did on the cross. And then we can forgive ourselves, and we're not defined by our past failures. We're not defined by what's been done to us. We're not defined by what people say. We're defined by what Jesus did for us, and we are now children of God. And when that rightness, that right standing is appropriated in our lives, then horizontally our relationships get so much better because we can offer the forgiveness to others that's been given to us. And our lens changes. Um, the Apostle Paul, if you remember uh, the last message that I preached, uh, he gave us kind of the thesis, gave us uh, the most important thing about this book, and that was that he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news, for in it is the power of God, uh, the power of God that leads people unto salvation for the Jew first, uh, the religious, and also for the Greek, the intellectual. And so for the thinker and the, the one who is filled with faith, uh, we find that there's a bridge and that we can be right with God. And then he goes on in, in, in verse uh, uh, 18, and he says, um, or 17, and he says, For in it, for in the gospel, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed, it's manifested from faith to faith. From this person who believes and trusts in Jesus to this person who believes and trusts in Jesus, uh, this right standing, this rightness is exposed. It's, it's made manifest in their life. And then he says, and because of it, the just shall live by faith. Or the righteous ones will live by faith. We will live by faith in the one who accomplished what we could not accomplish, the one who, who did what we could never do, the one who paid the price that we could never pay. And our right standing is based on this, and when we hold on to this truth, it changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we act. It changes the way that we think because it's based on truth and not all the lies that are fed into our lives. But what keeps people from coming 
to faith in God? What keeps people from, from saying yes to Jesus? Well, there are two things that I see uh, very clearly. The first would be that they, they don't see their need for God in their lives. I would call this uh, being spiritually blind, and, and I was there at one time. There, there was a time in my life where I could not see my need for Jesus. And it, 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 it had to uh, be brought forth to me. It, it had to be illuminated to me through the stirring of my heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayers of others uh, to saturate my, my hardened uh, uh, heart and my eyes to be open. The second reason that people don't come to faith is they are unwilling to admit their need for God in their lives. That's a heart thing. That's a, a heart condition. It's an unresponsive heart. Whether it is a hardened heart because of things that have happened to you in the past or because of how you have had failures or it is a prideful heart because you don't see the necessity to admit that you need someone that is greater than you. In your mind, you think that you're okay. And the way that you live is better than most. And that's why Jesus told the Pharisees uh, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 17, as they were uh, talking about him and, and he knew their thoughts and he could hear their, their, their voice and they were talking about him hanging out with tax collectors and with sinners. And Jesus said this, he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor. But the sick. And then he said, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus knew that not only did sinners and tax collectors need a doctor, but these Pharisees and religious leaders, they also needed the great physician. The problem was that they didn't see it. And they didn't admit it. Not only do religious leaders need a doctor, but philosophical leaders need a doctor. Those that lead with philosophy, and, and there's philosophies all over the world of how people should live their lives and how people should get right and how we can do this or we can do that. And then there are the moralists. There are the people that are they're good people. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as that person. I am pretty good. And it's very difficult for us to see or understand that we need a physician when we think that we are okay. It's very, very difficult for a self-righteous person to come to God. In other words, you're right because of your own self. Your self-works, your self-intellect, your self actions. And so we will see in this part of Romans how the Holy Spirit is going to lead Paul to put every person under trial and see that every person needs God as well as giving them an understanding of why they need God. And when I talk about every person, I mean that we all fall into a category. You know, one category is the unashamed transgressor. 
The unashamed sinner. You don't care what people say. You're going to do your own thing. You don't care who it hurts. You don't care what happens. You don't even care about the consequences. You will do your own thing. Another category are the moralists, those people that are good. And you don't need God because you're good. And if there is a God, he's going to let you into the heavenly gates because of what you've done. Look, God, I've done all this. And then the other category is the religious. There are thousands of religions all over the world. And every religion except for Christianity, it stands on the premise of this is what I will do for God. Only Christianity stands on the premise of this is what God has done for you. And so from that, from this uh, setting is the Apostle Paul writing uh, to, to people because the goodness of God and the gospel, the good news, is hinged to the wrath of God. In other words, God has to deal with all the evil that's on this world, on this earth. Sometimes, sometimes people say the good earth, but the good earth without a good God is a very bad and evil place. And so we find in the Old Testament where, where Moses, the, the great lawgiver, was getting the, the commandments from, from God. Now, this is his second time to go up Mount Sinai. The first time that he went up Mount Sinai, when he came down with the first uh, uh, ten commandments, the tablets of stone, he found that the, that the children of Israel had, they, they had waited and they were tired of waiting. And so they told Aaron, his brother, you need to form a God before us because we don't know where this Moses went. And, and form a God so he can lead us out of, into where we're going to be going. And so they started drinking. And, and the, the Bible talks to us about they were drinking and playing as they built this golden calf. And they worshipped a, a false God. And as they drank and partied and played, played has to do with, with uh, sexual um, uh, just immor immorality, that was going on, and that's exactly what the, what the context, that this is what Moses went down to. Now he goes back up and he intercedes for the people, and he tells the Lord, Lord, show me your character. Lord, show me your glory. And so the Lord in chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, this, this is my favorite passage in the Old Testament because it reveals who God is. In the New Testament, we see God revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we see how this just goes hand in hand with who Jesus is. The scriptures go, and it says, He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. In other words, there's a generational mishap that goes on when, when people choose to not walk with God. You see generationally how they're impacted. But, but the mercy of God says it will go to the third and fourth generation. After the fourth generation, you see that people begin to call on the name of the Lord because of the mercy of God. God revealed his glory, his character, 
his personality to Moses. And what we find is God's judgment is just. It's impartial. And, and his wrath or his anger is aimed at sin and what sin does to his creation. And any time that we have a distorted view of God, or, or worse, a lens with no God in our lives, our worldview will produce actions which will lead to destruction. So Paul, as we, as we progress into uh, verse 18 of chapter 1, we're going to see that he's going to be addressing the, the, the nations, the, the Gentiles, and, uh, and, and really to those that are depraved, they're doing their own thing, uh, not the moral Gentiles. We'll look at them in a little bit uh, next week. But the ones that are living a life outside of God, living for themselves, enjoying the sins of the world. And as we look at this passage, God helps us to answer three very important questions. And these questions, I'm going to follow an outline from uh, the great theologian John Stott, uh, from his commentary on the book of Romans. And, 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 and these questions are these, these three. The first one is, what is the wrath of God? What is it? The second question is, against what is God's wrath revealed? And the third question, very important one for us to answer is, how is God's wrath revealed? So the first question is, what is God's wrath? And there are two extremes. The, the, the one extreme on one side, the pendulum going one way, is that, uh, that God is angry at sinners and, and he, wants to, he wants to hit you over the head with a sledgehammer every time you do something wrong. Many people uh, that are not in church believe that God is, is this angry God wanting to, to pound you because of all the wrong that you've done. But beloved, that's not the good news. God is not angry at sinners. He's angry at sin. And the truth is that God the Father loved us so much that he sent his son to this earth. And Jesus took that sledgehammer that people think about. He took it upon himself on the cross at Calvary. All the wrath of God came upon his son. And Jesus, as people mocked him and people uh, criticized him and people cussed at him, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the character of God. What does sin do to us? How does it alienate us from a loving father? How does it cheapen and destroy our relationship with others? Sin causes us to believe a lie and in turn we, we live our life filled with lies. And that's exactly what Paul lays out uh, in verse 18 of chapter 1. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteous suppress the truth. Let me say that again. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have already been made. So they are without excuse. God says, it's made known just by his creation. And so the second extreme is that because God is love, and he is, he, he can't get angry. He shouldn't get angry. But the reality is, it's because of his love that he gets angry at, at what sin does to our lives and to those in our lives. And he's not like a parent that, that tells their children over and over, if you do this, I'm going to do this. If you keep doing this, I'm going to do this. If you don't stop doing this, I'm going to do this. The reality is that God will deal with the things that are destroying our lives. We need to know that God and his anger is not like human anger. You want to see what human anger is all about? Just go on, on social media and look at your feeds. Turn on the news. Humans get angry and usually it's uncontrolled anger. It's very hurtful, it's spiteful and malicious. It's vengeance at any cost. Human anger is almost always filled with poison. It's biased and prejudiced, and it's aimed to hurt others. God's anger and God's wrath is just. It's controlled. It's pointed at sin. The cross of Jesus helps us to understand God's love was revealed on the cross, but his wrath was aimed at sin, which his son took upon himself at Calvary. So the Holy Spirit leads Paul to, to, to continue. And, and I'm going to read from the message paraphrase because I just love the way that Eugene Peterson put it. In, in verse 18, he says, But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. The psalmist put it like this. He said, the, hev the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. And anytime we distort or trade our allegiance from the creator to the creation, our lives get confused and we lose our way. We start living our lives in what seems right in our own eyes, and it destroys individuals and families 
and cultures. What's going on in our country is not a political uh, problem. What's going on in our country is not even a social problem. What's going on in our country is a sinful problem that only God can fix. And the remedy is Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't have a rage fit. He's not malicious or spiteful. He's not neutral toward evil. In other words, he doesn't say, ah, you, whatever you want to do, it's okay. He deals with evil because if he didn't, he would cease from being a holy and righteous God. And because he is holy, his wrath is holy, and his judgment is just. Question number two is this, against what is God's wrath revealed? The answer is pretty simple. The the wrath of God is directed at evil. Evil will always arouse the anger of God because evil destroys us. Paul writes, the wrath of God, I love the way the NIV puts it, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Notice its, its, its aim. Notice that the, the anger of God is not just at godlessness but, and wickedness, but at godlessness and wickedness that suppress, that push down the truth, that do not let the truth come into their lives and in the lives of others. When we reject the reality of God in our life, we push back the potential of the goodness of God in your life. And it will progressively deteriorate our lives. And the Bible teaches us that the essence of sin is a life lived outside of God. God less. The more you have a less of God in your life, the, 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 the less of God that you have, the more potential for evilness that you have. And the opposite is true. The essence of goodness is godliness. A God-filled life will lead us to loving the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and all of your mind. And then it will systematically lead you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. When you're filled with a knowledge of God, when you're filled with God in your life, when you're full of God, it will lead you to love like you could never love before. To love Him who created you, to to love yourself who has been created by Him, but to love others that He's created. Paul went on and he said this in verse 24 and 25. He said, so God said in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out, and all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God that they made instead of the God who made them. The God we bless The God who blesses us, oh yes, oh yes.
God's wrath in this context is allowing our rejection of truth to lead us to do things that will spiral down into a road of decay. You see, without God as a centerpiece in our lives, we will see our sexuality spiral out of control because the less of God that we have, the more our sexual, uh, pure, the more our sexual truth and our sexual reality gets distorted. The more God that we have, the more that we will see what the purposes of God are in our sexuality. And when God made sexual intimacy, he made it very good. But without God, sex can become very bad. Paul goes on in verse 26 and 27, and he says, Worse followed. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men, all lust, no love. And then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless, wretched. The more God we have, the greater the love that we have. In our marriage, it's revealed in sexual intimacy. It's revealed in a, in a wonderful plan, in a monogamous relationship, a husband and a wife. For this reason, a, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And in this one flesh, they were, they were naked and not ashamed. That's a, that's a perfect creation of God. And any time that there is no God, we leave that premise. We leave that important foundation. And we do things with other which are against nature. Our, our very anatomy talks to us about the nature and the natural abilities that God has given us, the natural desires that we have for one another. So the Holy Spirit, He nudges our hearts and He stimulates, stimulates our minds with conviction to know that we are doing what is wrong and He leads us to go in the right direction to find our answers in Jesus Christ. Here's question number three. How is God's wrath revealed? And I'm going to answer very biblically here. The first way is in the future. We find this in, in, uh, in the letter from Paul to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. In this we see that, that there's a future wrath for those who have not trusted in the Lord. The second way we will deal with later, and that is through the governing authorities. We'll, we'll deal with that in, in Romans chapter 13. Uh, and here's what we read there in chapter 13, verse 4. He, that being the, the, the civil authorities, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. We'll look at that in depth. The third 
uh, view of God's wrath or the explanation of God's wrath is what the context of Paul's letter to the church in Rome that we're in right now is, uh, is when we are suppressing the truth. And this is what it says. Verse 28 through 32 of chapter 1. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. I love the way that the, the message paraphrase puts it. Since they, didn't, uh, since, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose, rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering and cheating, Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued God-bashers, bullies, swaggers, unsufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. And stupid and slimy and cruel and cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well that they're spitting in God's face and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. We see that, that God's wrath here is hands off. Letting people do uh, what they think is right. And here's the thing that I've been there. Living your life thinking that what you're doing is right even when you're doing the things that are the worst of the worst. Playing by your own playbook for life. Making choices according to our circumstances and our feelings instead of the word of truth that will guide us through the purposes and for the purposes of God himself. You see, at that time, I didn't see my need for God. I was unwilling to admit that I needed Jesus Christ in my life until the day that I said yes to Jesus. Until the day that that filth and the the, the the evil and all of these things that were set against me until they overtook me and I knew that I needed a Savior. And at that time, I reached out to Jesus. I called out to him and he was waiting. You see, he had already said yes to me. He had a plan for my life. He had a plan for my family's life, a plan that was so much better than mine. And I had to come to the place where I, where I admitted that I was a sinner. Everything that we're, that we're reading today, all, the, all the, 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 the exposure, how God exposes who we are outside of Christ, was exposed. But here's the thing, beloved. Jesus said yes to you. Before you ever said yes to him, And so my prayer today is that you'll say yes. I say this every week. It's as easy as A, B, C. The A is admit that you're a sinner. You've got to come to the place that we agree with God. Hey, I've lived my life suppressing the truth. I've lived my life doing my own thing. I've lived my life trying to to, uh, uh, live in this error. And I'm recognizing that my life was filled with error. The B stands for believe in Jesus you put your trust in the one who's greater than you you put your trust in the one that came and paid your penalty he died for your sins 
He died for everything that we've done, everything that was talked about right there. And the C stands for confess him as your Lord and follow him from this day forward. The greatest confessions that we make is made with our mouth. We can speak life or we can speak death. We can say yes or we can say no. And so my prayer for you is that you'll say yes to God today. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer, just God, I am a sinner. And today I declare that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. That He died for my sins on the cross at Calvary. That He rose from the dead on the third day. And I confess Him as my Lord and I choose to follow Him from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Now if you prayed that prayer with me today, you are born again. You are saved And it's the greatest decision you could ever make. It's the greatest confession you could ever make. And I am just rejoicing with you. We are rejoicing with you as a church. And I believe that, 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 well, the word declares that the angels in heaven are are rejoicing. They're they're doing a super dance and, and just a great celebration. And so we celebrate alongside. And we want you to know that we're a church that does not want for you to do life on your own. This faith thing that we're talking about, you don't have to do it on your own. We want to come alongside, encourage you, strengthen you, be here for you. And so we would love for you to contact us. Uh, we ha- we'll have an email there on the bottom, uh, on the comment section. You can um, email us. Uh, we'd also love to see if you said yes to Jesus, you could just put up those praise hands, on your emoji praise hands, and we would just want, just want to rejoice with you So God bless you. God has such a wonderful plan for you. Um, We pray you have a wonderful week and know that next week gets better. And if you said yes to Jesus, tomorrow gets better for you. He's got such a wonderful plan. So God bless you. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.